All right, guys, welcome back to the Institute of Higher Earning podcast, brought to you from North Texas, Dallas, Texas. Good friend of mine, Kelly Smith, who is a uh, what, a loan officer, loan consultant, loan, what are you, loan badass? I throw money at people. You throw a lot of money at I people. I spend other loan people's shark. money really well. Loan shark. Loan yeah. shark. If I ever tag that her on Facebook. Bad. That sounds bad. That sounds bad. I should have wanted, like make that a t-shirt anyway, and worn it. Main products are hard money lending. So lending to investors such as ourselves, people that we sell deals to, people that we buy deals from, lending people like me uh, a lot of money in the past. Not so much recently. That's, that's unfortunate, but we're still friends. It's okay. Um, she also does a high volume of takeout financing in the non-QM space, which is coming back uh, with a kind of a big thing. It was a little paused for a little while in kind of Rates 22, are sexy. 23. They're not bad. Rates are sexy. Uh, she's been in the real estate industry, not to age or date anyone. I've been in since 06, and she is uh, much younger, much more beautiful, and has been in just a little bit longer than me as well. So uh, I think that's, that's one good place to start. Um, what's going on in the real estate market? We're coming off of what was a shit show of a year. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was, it's not anything to equate to like 08, 18, or even in the 90s. The only people who equate it to those dates are ones that weren't around during those times. Because <laughs> those, those were truly, there were paradigm shifts that needed to happen. People were doing silly deals, silly loans. There's a reason that collapsed. Mm -hmm. What happened with 2023 was interest rates increased as they were trying to fight inflation. And then what happened? That killed the real estate market. And we came off the hottest real estate market that I have ever been mm -hmm. part of. And I've been doing this a very, very long time from commercial broker when, when, when to did you start? Technically in 2001, I okay. was a marketing director while I was still in college oh, wow. and uh, awesome. for a commercial real estate company. And then after that, I, I stuck in commercial real estate until 2014, and that's when I got into hard money. That makes so much sense because uh, when I, so I joined in 2019, right, uh, when I became hard money lender uh, loan officer, and you were everywhere, right? If you go on social media and you try to compete as a loan officer in Texas, you're going to run into Kelly Smith, right? And holy shit, I, I always said, I used to talk to Tony, and I was like, how do I get these referrals? Like, how do I penetrate and brainwash these people to always throw my name out there and like God worship me and like I was so envious of it. But that's the answer right there is you had such a long road fucking crushing it. I think, I think, it, right? you, work, like, I think you work your ass off. Yeah, no, you're crushing yeah, you it for it. so I've long. I've done a lot of traveling. Yeah, no, I've that, done a that's... lot of traveling, a lot of work. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's get some... Let's <laughs> Uh, I, I had a reduction a couple years ago, so I, I can't. I don't have as much cleavage it's as I used to. Because you fast, and I like to eat. <laughs> well, uh, give us some context. So you're with Easy Street Capital, mm -hmm. uh, and you. We just had lunch. You mentioned to me you're. You guys are number some something in the country. We were like top seven. Top seven in volume of deals closed last year. So transactional volume. Transactional volume, and okay. and that's just really a mixture of the bridge and which is like the flips, new builds, double mm -hmm. closes, all that. How kind many of stuff. states are you guys in now? We're in forty-five states. 45. We were in forty-seven. We paused too. Um, unlike a lot of our competition, because um, a lot of our competition, the bigger guys, they have banks backing them, so they have a different class of money borrower than we do. We're really very organic and grassroots. I mean, two years ago, we were nowhere near this level. Mm -hmm. And here we are. We have like 115 people, um, 35 sales agents lending in that many states. And we and your, offer rental programs. Your sales agent number what? <laughs> I was I was the fourth hire of the entire company. And, and, and so technically, it, so. I was the first <laughs> sales agent outside of the, the partners. 
because um, we had a, a person, Peter, RIP, I miss him, I love him so much. Uh, but he did everything, draws, servicing, loans, closings. And I remember the first month when I first started in 2018, January 2018, I started with East Street. It was, I think my second or third month, we closed 30 loans. And he was like, let's do this. Alone a day, this is sexy. And that was energizing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when your team is energized to go do that and see that success. And now here we are. It's, it's amazing. We have killers that are in, I mean, we have uh, Taylor. She's out in... Um, uh, Georgia, she she took the rainmaker from me this year. She beat me you last year. I one? lost to you a lost rookie. Spot one. Wow. To a rookie, and she was time? well deserved though. I mean, she's killing it. It's how the first that time market? I've ever lost it. So how's that market compared so to what Texas? She's, what she's saying actually is that she was slacking last year. Yeah. Let's. So I want to, but I want to break down the analytics a little, right? I so, mean, you did stop using me. Yeah. <laughs> I, w I was a good piece of your volume for a while. <laughs> So I have to hustle. I mean, honestly, so when I look at the whole U.S. Mm -hmm. where we lend, but more specifically where I personally lend, the bulk of my business is Texas. But I've spent the last year trying to spread my basis so it's in different states. I didn't want to have the exposure to just one state because what we've seen through all of the market changes, Texas had the highest appreciation, but we had the quickest normalization as well. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought the market was crashing. We weren't. We're still higher than we would at a normal appreciation rate. We're still doing fine. Florida's seen a lot of the same. So those two markets I do quite a bit of business in. If we could remove your market, Texas would fucking be amazing, though, also. <laughs> so I want to throw that defense out there in what Texas's a... eyes. Because Austin had such a kick in the dick because it was such on a roller coaster upward, right? You, so, we just couldn't yeah, sustain no, what you, was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Austin saw some actual yeah. de depreciation pretty much metro-wide, didn't they? Mm -hmm. We did. Pricing. I mean, it, we still are seeing normal appreciation if you took out that year. You yeah. know, if you looked at the median versus the average, you know, we're still doing fine. But, you know, that house, like, for example, in my neighborhood, I live in this random neighborhood that feels like you're in the country. People have half acre to five acres. I back up to a horse on five acres. It's awesome. My kid calls her Nene and feeds her. Um, I have just over half acre. I have a tiny little house we fully got and remodeled. We've redone like the front. Like we've done a lot of work to it. Um, you know, it's $500,000 house probably now, but I could have sold it for seven fifty dollars easy mm -hmm. in 2022. Mm -hmm. But then there's like five new builds in the back corner that has three quarters to an acre and they're over a million dollars. But then if you go down two side streets, there's a hoarder house that's been there over 20 years. And 290 is probably what they would sell it for, but they could sell it once it's fixed up for 50 to 525, depending on if you add, do any like convert the back. Um, all almost all of us have barns, like two story. Oh, that's cool. Like you could, some of my uh, neighbors have converted them into living space, so yeah. like apartments or game room or man. My husband, it's his man cave. He's got all his hunting stuff, and he sits in there and watches nerds so on YouTube. So I think there's a lot to take. There's so there's room, but, but the point of it was, if you didn't do that, it would be. 425, 450 to 525 ARV. So, but again, that house is mirrors mine in terms of size and footprint, but 700 two years ago. Mm -hmm. So, did we come down? Yes, but we're still, you know, we're still doing fine in the yeah. media. So, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, yeah. Well, what we were doing at the time is the market in DFW peaked mm, April of uh, 22. As far as we can tell, April yeah. 23, April 23. I think everything really April, got hot. In April March 23 is when I saw is when it. it peaked, and so when we started reevaluating our deals and our deal flow and our acquisition criteria, because you know we close on still a pretty high volume of deals, is we took the comps from basically March to May 
of that year and just completely disregarded them. Mm. Uh, not entirely, but in terms of like sales price, like you were talking about, if there's a sales price here and we're seeing listings here, now we're taking these listings as a new recommendation of what an actual ARV is. And we, so what I like to say like from a, from a marketing, from a market perspective, is I think what we saw was kind of a blow off in the top of the market. Mm -hmm. The market just was shooting up like this, and then when, if you're trading stocks or something like that, what happens is the market just kind of keeps going up and just like shoots off and then it settles down. Mm -hmm. And that shoot off move isn't a legitimate move based on any kind of necessarily fundamentals. It's just kind of psychology is kicking in, everyone's buying, everyone's scrambling, everyone's desperate, and then boom. And the, the way we prepped ourselves with that was, um, seeing that rates were going to start rising, now we're going to expect that that's going to drive an anticipation of prices to continue to increase because the Fed broadcasts that they're going to be raising rates and they're going to be raising them pretty fast at the time. And they did. As opposed to when you and I were in college back in the day, you remember Bernanke, he didn't say shit about what was going to happen with I rates. It was always, <laughs> It was always like a guessing game, like, well, what's the Fed going to do this month? The Fed broadcast now six months down, like out, what they're going to be doing. So anyone that's caught with their pants down, oh, I didn't know rates were going to go up. Oh, I didn't know prices were going to cool. Are you just not listening? You know what's funny is how much uh, they shouldn't be sharing that information because it's kind of it's manipulating the all of the environments of Absolutely. any kind of anything that's going to be impacted by rates. It's manipulating them. It's essentially teaching us once again. Like Robinhood, Robinhood stocks. We literally have no control over mm -hmm. what's going on, and none of this is truly organic. It's all manipulative. So you really do have to be paying attention to that. I think However, so. I will always say in our real estate market and in investment real estate, just buy right, and that will always be cheap. Buy as cheap as possible because you're. It doesn't matter what the market does if you buy right. And all of the stress and angst and just the emotional intelligence thrown out the window during 2023 with a lot of individuals in the real estate realm, and especially investment real estate realm, they didn't buy cheap. They were just buying silly stuff yeah. because in 2022... you can refi up to 80%. And you could do anything in 2022 are, to make money. Mm -hmm. things, were, things were there to catch you, right? Things were there to help you pull your pants back up, right? And like make up for your faults. But that's not there anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So so you obviously see a higher volume of transactions than we do, just by the nature of your business. Mm -hmm. How many loans do you do on a month? Mm, a lot. A lot. What, <laughs> <laughs> what are the biggest issues that you see that investors, maybe newer investors or even seasoned investors, bump into? Not necessarily on the loaning side, but maybe the loaning side too, in terms of expectations and reality for their projects. Where do you see people get into trouble and where do you see them kind of mess up their expectations for the process? I'd say, and this is true for new and mid-level investors, and I would say mid-level, you might have done 20 deals in the last two years. I'm still not considering you that next level above just because you have it, this is your first market cycle. Um, but the mid-level, it's usually misanticipating their scope of work. That is 100% the stress that anyone who, I would say 99% of the people who slander and bash us or me or any hard money lender, because we get the phone calls, I hate so-and-so because I had such and such happen with my budget. It's 99% they did not have an appropriate budget. You have time to walk a house and figure it out. Just to touch on that. Which goes back to you didn't buy it deep enough. Would you consider us ex experienced, relatively experienced? I've probably done doors-wise probably over a thousand doors. 
Well, absolutely. But you guys still screw up budgets. Absolutely. I mean, so. I think my favorite <laughs> comments from you was, what did I lie about the budget number being? Well, we're above that already. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, of course. Um, I mean, budget's always a guess to a certain extent. It's but, a complete guess. However, but if you buy well contingencies, enough, buy you, cheap enough, mm -hmm, it doesn't. Exactly. It's not going to eat into you. But even then, even if you bought cheap, but your budget was only. Let's tell famous story of a person who slandered me for three years. Told me it could get done for 18k. What other people would need 34. Ended up submitting a budget for 60k, and then admitted never walked the house. That's a rookie mistake. Well, he submitted the budget after uh, after, after he, he purchased closed on it, right? and started yeah. tearing oh, into it. So he was in there. So he submitted a draw request basically for, for 60k. For 60k. And you're like, bro, your loan's only for 18. And was very was upset about it. I uh, don't know. Names don't matter. But Jesus I've been my tongue on that one, Holy and he's shit. gone out of his way to tell people about it. But the point of my story is, he had a significant track record enough that we talked to him like a pro, and I didn't fight with him about his budget. I'm just more insulted that that's that he thought that's how fucking lending worked. Like, no, I can always get more money from the lender. It's not a fucking ATM, bro. Well, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. Your loan docs, the yeah, you got to go back and rewrite investment. Everything. What do the numbers look like? But it also tells us like you didn't really, you weren't fully prepared to walk in and get into this deal like we were. Um, so I would say budgets number one. Mm -hmm. Never having a sufficient budget. And I tell everyone, especially new investors, shit happens. You will always go over either time or money on a budget. It happens to everybody. You can get there, you can do all the option period, have every single inspector, have every single third party contractor out there. You're still gonna run into unknowns. You're gonna open a wall and find mold or I once found a bunch of gecko eggs and I didn't know what they were and I thought we had aliens. What did gecko eggs look like? <laughs> Tiny round balls, like little, uh, little, little caviar balls or something. In no, there? well, they're a little bigger. They're like smaller than a ping pong ball, but they I look like little that. ping pong balls, and they're everywhere. And I, I was like, that. "Oh God, this is like alien <laughs> spores. We're all gonna die." That's amazing. But you know, or even just foundation. Uh, my San Marcos house—that's my favorite one. The foundation was—it's cute little cottage, and it's only 970 square feet. But the foundation was so bad, I couldn't walk through the whole house because I thought I was gonna puke. I just get really affected. Mm -hmm. We missed that the toilet and the tub were falling through the subfloor. And it wasn't until we got in there and started doing foundation, we realized the subfloor was gone. Well, yeah, I had to come out of pocket for that. Yeah, I wasn't no, mad at anybody. No. But there was no way we could have caught that because, you know, the red herring was the terrible foundation and everything else that needed to be done. So you just have to anticipate this type of stuff. So what happens is they miss the budget and they're not appropriately capitalized. They think, you know, I have 50 grand. All I need for this deal is 50 grand. Well, that's what you need on paper. The realistic number might have been 65. Mm -hmm. But that's not always true. But just go ahead and account for that. So I would say not having cash and budgets is the big deal. In the current marketplace, not protecting your credit is a big one. No. You can buy deals without credit or cash, but you're going to need someone's credit and cash. And lenders are being more picky and choosy on credit partners, money partners. We now want them tied to the loan. We don't want to have the 500 credit on the loan or 600 credit. We want the better person on the loan. So you have to do it, figure out a way to do it together as a, an entity or a joint venture. Well, now you have a whole new way to look at this deal. You're now literally in business with someone. You can't just walk away if everything goes sideways and they can take it over. So the market's changing and, and as cash capital 
credit, all of this becomes more important, your budget really has to be better solidified or at least understand it's going to change. So that's, that's kind of a lender perspective, and I think that's all absolutely accurate. I think from an acquisitions or from an investor perspective, kind of going back to your San Marcos deal, the best ways to hedge against that is exactly the two things that you mentioned, is buying better uh, because you can only really affect your buy price. You can never affect your sales price no. to a certain extent because the sales price is dictated by what the market conditions are. So you can have a dispo team, and we have a very good dispo team, but at some point they can only sell a deal for how much the deal is actually going to be worth on the open marketplace. There's really no bottom to what you can buy for. If you can negotiate better, if you can have better conversations with sellers, if you can provide more, I don't want to say provide more value to sellers, but effectively craft offers that make sense to the sellers and then have more valuable conversations with the sellers, you can buy better. So your profit margin is dictated really by your buy price. Mm -hmm. And your dispo, if you're, regardless of your sales uh, dispo strategy, you can be wholesale, you can be wholetail, you can be retail, you can be flip, you can be whatever. It's dictated by what the market is going to give you. Yeah. Um, and so the best, the best two ways to, to mitigate against those problems and what we've done in our company and what I think good operators that try to do in their companies is buy better uh, and have enough cash around where when stuff inevitably goes wrong, and it does on every single deal, uh, that it's not a big deal. Um, something goes wrong, like your bathroom deal. For us, I might not even know that, that was a, an issue until after the crew fixed it because it's just the nature of doing the business. But if you're well, new- Well, and your crew is in there just doing what they think they're supposed to do. Yeah. They're looking at their scope of work, but if they see the subfloor, they're gonna fix it. It's not always they're just gonna call you and say, we have a problem. Well, you have to fix it. And well, Absolutely, and, well, that, and that goes to the dispo strategy. We don't need to harp on it too much, but if we're shooting for a full ARV price point when we're selling a property, what your original scope is is relatively irrelevant. Because if you missed a bunch of shit, if you're Comes back in sold inspection. comps, are new roofs and new HVAC, and you have a roof that keeps the water out, an HVAC that's 12 years old, you're not gonna sell for that full ARV comp. It doesn't matter what you had in your original scope. Or what I've seen is skipping appropriate insulation. And oh, then buyers come back with their inspector and they're like, this is inappropriately with their little uh, yeah, heat so thing. Mm -hmm. you Everything, know you know what the fucked up thing is? Every house in Texas has inappropriate insulation too. You're not even supposed to see your rafters and anything if you go into an attic. Oh, we, we spray. Yeah. Yeah. Where we, am I gonna put the stuff I won't touch for 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things also We don't have basements, man. You said you, said you, have a, uh, you, said you have an outbuilding. I have a two-story barn, but it is full of my husband's crap. Uh, uh, you it's don't full have of duck decoys and bows you, and arrows and stuff. You need a second barn. You need a second barn. Need a second barn. The thing that a lot of times so newer investors also do is they try to they try to if they miss something they just try to fucking pinch it right. They try to. Uh, solve it the cheapest way possible, and they end up fucking paying three times over for it instead of doing it right the first time. You don't go, you don't skimp on the rehab budget mm -hmm. to try and make your numbers. You're no, that's just do it's the, the right rehab budget way of shooting yourself because in the you're foot. going to. If you don't do the house right, it's going to get you in the inspection. You're going to lose buyers. You're going to increase holding costs, or you're going to end up giving your sellers concessions. That's probably more than what you want. Because let's be honest, we've all been there. You're looking at your inspector looked at it. That how you know that needs to be fixed. It probably costs two hundred dollars, but I'm going to ask for a thousand. It's just the way it works. So now you've, you're offering up 20K concessions where if you just spent the five grand with your GC or your contractors to get it done right the first time, you probably would have saved yourself money in the long run. So but you, but again, you don't know what you don't know. There's yeah. so, like in this space, we're all really running, we're kind of running naked and alone. 
you don't, it's not common for you to walk over to someone and say. Not now, but <laughs> been there, done but that. But it's not common to be like, hey, TJ, uh -huh. will you come walk my house? I've got this beautiful rehab. Will you tell me what I'm missing? That just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, people pay for mentors and those mentors should be doing that. Maybe they are, maybe they don't. I don't know. But I do feel like there's a lot of retrading with the consumer at the end. And that's purely because maybe you just did a cosmetic update and it shouldn't have been just cosmetic update. Well, it's also, you have to know what type of investor you are, right? If you're gonna be a retail high-end investor, you better fucking know design and style. Don't think you're just gonna go and, you know how many times we've seen like uh, fucking postmodern houses in areas that shouldn't be there and they, mm. they or they fucking just destroy them by updating them completely into modern and, and just, you're not gonna have those buyers in that area, right? Well, like certain price points don't want the mm -hmm. all white and gray. Exactly. What, yeah, don't. what we're seeing in the marketplace is comps matter again. So if there's no, if there's zero inventory and artificially low interest rates, which there were for basically COVID to post-COVID to last year, um, anything sells. You can mess up and fall forward and fail forward and all these catch terms that all the gurus like to use, but that doesn't mean that you're running a solid foundational business. Now, does that mean you can take advantage of that business environment? Well, we sure as heck did. We bought all the stuff that we could. We didn't care that much about the rehabs, and we, we put them out there. We took benefit of it. We absolutely did. We did silly loans, but, we but knew, they paid off. And we knew it at the time. We knew, like I imagine you guys too, we knew at the time that, hey, we couldn't do this if there was more inventory. We couldn't mm -hmm. do this if, and, and what I mean by that is, is just simply um, functional obsolescence on some houses. For example, if there's a galley kitchen in a house, and there's an open kitchen uh, with a you know peaked roof or whatever in a competing house, if there's no inventory, those are comps. Those are exact comps because one will sell for the exact same thing that the other sells for. Everything else being equal, relatively speaking. However, we're in a normal market but now, now with thirty to forty-five days on market. Exactly. That galley kitchen is not going to be the same. Now we're looking at a price adjustment or a price correction. And what what really is interesting about days on market, I think, is what what's an average? An average is you know an average is I I sold some product for a dollar and I sold some product for a hundred thousand dollars, so my average is fifty grand. Well, that's a horrible metric to look at yeah. stuff, because a days on market, if it's a well positioned product that hits the market and hits the market well, um, that's done well, it sells relatively quickly, two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. If it's a complete turd, it might not sell for six months or for twelve months at almost any price. So the average is now you know, getting driven up, obviously, by bad inventory, in addition to just overall inventory taking a little bit longer to sell by the nature of it being out there to begin with. Right. Knowing that list price matters now more than ever, right? Like, cause if you listed 10, 15 too high just because of whatever fucking reason, you're either not using the right comps or you're using a gut that you just think it's going to be X, Y, Z, you're... A year ago, well, two years ago, actually, like, the, like you said, like, market would have actually push that number up even another 20 grand but now once you start having 30 days on market you're taking price reductions people are looking at it what the fuck is wrong with the house now you you're have having now you're having it. now you're having stigma the fucking house smells like now define, things define actually a, matter define a stigmatized right. property because that's a term that we haven't heard for probably i haven't heard it since i mean everyone it's it's that moment that a house is like 60 days on market plus mm -hmm. everybody thinks something's wrong with it well, that's there now might a marketing be nothing, but again, everyone right? like, has to wonder, especially if you've ever gone under contract and fallen out. It could have been for any reason. Buyer didn't have money. Buyer wasn't approved. Doesn't not related to the house. It doesn't matter if your house is on the market ninety plus days, especially now. 
and you once had a contract, you now have a stigma. Something's wrong with your property. Here come the lowball offers. Here come the creative finance investors. Oh Here come all the things that you didn't want. And that's, I mean, I almost, you know, I have a client who always, he always does a level better than in the kitchen and bathrooms than what his surrounding comps are. But he'll always price the house at the lower end. Mm -hmm. So he has bids and then it gets bid up and he'll end up selling higher for sometimes the highest in the neighborhood. And that has worked really well. Now you have to be a cool operator to do um, that. And he's proven it time and time again. That's pretty, but that's, that's stressful. That's pretty much our business model. Yeah. Like that's through COVID, even post COVID. Uh, and Tony and I butt heads on it uh, when we were kind of merging is our strategy was very much during COVID. We're going to underprice by not much. Like we're going to underprice by three or 4%, not even 5%. Uh, and we were setting records on almost every flip we sold during COVID. Mm -hmm. It was so cool. But we knew it was, you know, we knew it was an expiring timeline. But that was our exact strategy was let's make it just a little bit nicer than competition. Let's price it a little bit less than the competition. And let's get more than the competition by having bidding wars. And we were getting, again, I think our record was 35K over ask or something ridiculous nice. on a deal. It doesn't mean that we were, it doesn't mean that we were fantastic with our flips necessarily. Uh, it doesn't mean that um, uh, we were good. We, we were because we knew what we were doing and we knew that, that was a condition of the market allowing us to be able to do that. And when we saw the market changing, then we pulled back and we evaluated how we're going to position what we're doing on the products. Um, but it doesn't mean that a lot of people, I think, took that for granted. A lot of the gurus in the space, a lot of the people teaching flipping uh, that are now talking about how many millions of dollars they lost, mm. I think they lost sight of their core fundamental business, which is know what the product is that you're putting on the market and know what the business is that you're actually in. I also think a lot of what happened too was not only did people screw up budgets and just going back to the fundamentals of buy cheaper, know your numbers, you know, don't count on that appreciation. People moved into product types that they probably weren't ready to move into or had no business being in. I will never probably flip a million dollar property. I just don't think that I have the style or the eye or the stress level for it. Um, and I am aware of that. But what we saw with deals that we decided not to do, whether it was a new build or a luxury product, those are usually the most, or even people, the natural progression is moving into, because you know you start flipping here, you start with the 400 and below ARVs. Those are easy. If you have to hold it, it's a lot better chance to cash flow. Those are easy deal. Biggest buyer base. Then you get a little bored. You get a little ego. I'm going to do a bigger house. I'm going to do the 700. I'm going to do the million. I want to start doing multifamily, mm -hmm. small multifamily. We'll do up to nine units. So we see some of that. I think what happened was a lot of those people got into those products without really being ready because the ego over here was, well, these are selling 100K over. Bidding wars. Well, yeah, it's the market. It's not the house. Mm -hmm. It's the market. Like your house might have been it, but it was the market. It was everywhere. Um, and I think what, what happened was a lot of people got into these and they didn't understand what they were selling. When you get to a certain price point, 650, 700, your level of finishes are not Home Depot, like the 400K houses you're buying. You know, the Wayfair's lighting's probably not working, although Amazon lights I like. Um, when you get <laughs> so our, our, I don't like their plumbing, but I like their lights. <laughs> our, our Home Depot expense last year was actually 20K less than it was the previous year. And I'm pretty much sure that's because we bought so much more stuff on Amazon. Uh, for the flips that we that we did, they have cool lights. So, I like their light fixtures. They have nice lights, they have especially nice... like in my rentals. You know, they're they're three hundred thousand dollars houses. I put in a neat light. Everybody loves it, and mm -hmm. I'm like, I think it's ugly, but it's modern, mm -hmm. and people think it's great. Um, I love the fact that it's just free shipping, and I don't have to send the crews. Well, to go is get there it two or three days, and you know, yeah. that's right. So, it feels sometimes faster. Uh, uh, well, my my living room doesn't always like that. <laughs> 
But again, it's, you know, budget, but moving into something, because a lot of those, I tell everyone, when you're getting into that higher price point, that's a smaller buyer base and a more choosy buyer base. And you need to walk your comps. You need to walk them. Not pictures don't always tell the story. They just, it misses the details. What was, like, it looks like white subway tile. Well, it's hand scraped, so it has that cool ebb and flow look, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit longer than the normal rectangle, mm-hmm. and it's a little wider, and it's got a little different grout line, and, you know, it's got little, it just feels different. The kit, the kitchen cabinets are Euro modern. Like, it's just different. You need to walk those. So if you take what you did here and found success in that $400,000 house, and you try to translate it up here, it's not a translation, you know? And in those situations, I would say, if you don't have a designer or you personally aren't stylish, get a designer. But even those, ask them, have you been part of a house that sold at this price point? You know, walk them, walk all your comps because you'll get A, ideas, and B, as you watch them sell or not sell, you can see what is that buyer Why place looking not? for. And it's just the, there's just also a quality difference too in those price oh, points, right? Down. Like, you, and the people think that just they're gonna make that jump and it's just there. No, you're gonna have to fire half your crews and get new yeah. ones, right? Because your tile guy for a two fifty, three hundred thousand dollar house is not the tile guy you might want to be using on a one point one million dollar house. And you're right? doing so, a herringbone pattern oh, that's gotta shot, be seamless. Right? Yeah, and it's we got a Texas star in the middle. We, I know we, we did, but we're different. <laughs> we don't we fucking do as we say, not as we do. So, God damn it. But 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 your your point is well taken. Mm-hmm. Um and I think actually there's a lot more variation in drywall work than tile, even. I was because Drywall was bad, what I was going like, to say. Because bad tile work you can see easily. And a bad tile guy, you might not keep around, even at the 300K price I, point. The but a bad drywall guy can patch together a 200K house. He, he has no business being a, in a million-dollar house. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, and, of course, the drywall, some of it you'll see. If you're painting it just white, mm-hmm. you don't see in the sunlight. But when you're at night and you turn on those lights, and you turn on, especially if you have any, you know, um, recessed lighting, that's when you start mm-hmm. to notice they were not mm-hmm. sanding to the level one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that that buyer is way different too. Like you said, right? They're just fucking picky cunts, right? Like you, you, I, that buyer over a million hated them. We dealt with them for fucking months, well after buying the house. Fucking hate them the entire time. The three hundred thousand, the three hundred thousand yeah. dollar buyer will go over there afterwards. We'll fucking help them if we yeah. need something. They love us. They give us hugs, and they're so grateful, right, for the for what we've did and what we've provided. Well, they're but excited they get a nice house. Exactly. When I bought my first house, Fucking... it was avocado green in the kitchen and robin egg blue because that's all I could afford. So, so you mentioned, right you mentioned one progression uh, direction that you've seen in the marketplace in terms of like a newer investor starts with a flip, and then they go to two flips, and then they go to a higher price point, and then they go to a higher price point. And then they think they're a commercial investor, uh, or they flip to new builds, or and they have like no that. idea what they're doing. What permitting? Permitting. That one oh, that kills takes, me. That can take forever. That one kills me. I'm ready to do some new builds. Okay, well, tell me about your flip experience. Bunch of cosmetic stuff. Okay, well, why my GC is going to be running the job? That's great. GCs are third-party contractors. They're going to get paid no matter what. There's a difference between building something and profiting off of the investment of building it. And a lot of the, the issues that people run into and why we don't lend to new build, newer new investors, we used to years ago, and it never worked out well. GC quit, they had to find a new one, the price wasn't right, now they're upside down. The buyer, get stolen. borrower has no idea what they're talking about or looking at, no one can get permits, and it's there. now you have a dead deal. And let me be very clear, 
no one wins in a foreclosure. They're always a shit show. There's always something wrong. There, it's not like, supposedly some lenders use foreclosures as an acquisition strategy. Mm -hmm. Usually the smaller guys that are using more private money. I've heard those rumors. I honestly don't know how they can do it because genuinely no one profits off of foreclosure. We ate them. It costs an arm and a leg. To fix them. There's because it's broken for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of lenders have even pulled back from, again, we're learning and adapting and pivoting as the market changes. There's there was a time where there was a lot of failed flips on the market. And you'd have newer investors. This house is they ran out of money. It just needs fifteen K to finish. Mm -hmm. You have to go and unfuck no, everything they did. It's miserable. Well, hey, if it's only fifteen K, anybody can find fifteen K. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, it's not fifteen K. There's something else. And what else did they skip? And how many liens are going to pop up post-closing? And how many contractors are going to come back after they realize it's traded and they still didn't get paid and come and damage the property? And take their stuff So most of us you. won't lend on those anymore. And mm -hmm. it didn't make sense to borrowers for a long time. This is a quick flip for me to pick up. There's more to it than just, I'm going to go in and finish the flooring. No, you're not. <laughs> so, so we've talked a lot about how people can mess up in the marketplace. And I think that's important because... As, a, as the marketplace changes, it's important to know where the failure points are in any kind of business model. Where are the people that, have you, that you've seen throughout the years? Because, you know, we've been around the block. Uh, Jesus. Gotta be a better way to say that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Come on, old lassie. <sighs> Come on, ho. Where are the people that have, that have gotten to a certain level of success and are still in business and are doing business the right way. What are they doing different that differentiates themselves, again, from, from the two different ends of the spectrum? From the mom and pop one-off flipper that really wasn't in a business to begin with and then lost their ass. And then also from the higher volume education guru space, where again, we've seen, we've seen a lot of the big gurus out there talk about taking millions of dollars of losses on flips in what is relatively a very good market. And I don't understand I know. they're paying back their lenders. Well, they're doing that. That was at one. They're doing firing everybody else, that. apparently. But I, like, on both ends of the spectrum, I understand and sympathize more with the small person that watched HGTV and thought that they could go gotcha. retire by doing it. But I, I don't sympathize with the ones that are teaching flipping, talk, bragging about how many millions of dollars they lost. I don't sympathize with that person at all. I don't. So, who are you seeing that's wildly successful aside from us? Um, and what are they doing that differentiates themselves in the marketplace? from other folks because let's have a little bit I'll of a maturity conversation. The, some of the best clients that I have and the, the most successful that I have that use me, use their own money, use private money, use other lenders, they have a plethora of funding sources. They never deviate from the numbers. They can walk away from a deal if something changes and it's not fitting the numbers they buy at. They're not the 70% of ARV buyers. They're the 60 and below um, and they never deviate from that a lot of times they're not even on social media or they're barely on social media. You'd have no idea what they do for a living. Um, they also tend to be my clients who, when there's a rocky road, something happens. It doesn't matter what it is. They're calm. They talk like, here's what happened. I'm gonna talk to my lender. Let's figure out a solution. But they can recognize it's on me to fix this. They don't have to save me. And I'm probably going to need money or time or something to fix this. And all of it ends up being money in the end. They're usually, they're, they're solution oriented. They're not losing their minds, screaming and pointing fingers and whatever. That is, and that, that's the people that I would say do consistently one to two deals a month. Those are those individuals. 
Um, the mom and pops who only come in and do maybe four, five, six deals a year, the, and they're doing it supplement retirement something. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just something they've always wanted to do, but they haven't fully left careers. They're the same way. They're sticking to numbers. They're mm -hmm. in this because they have to. They have to be well, well, like profited off the few deals they're doing. Uh, but they're very rigid. This is we do not buy outside of this. This is what we do. I will walk from a deal. Uh, the other, the other people that I would say that are really finding success, especially the volume people, probably no different than y'all. They're they have enough going on that a loss or something doesn't hit as well. You have something else to accommodate for it. If you're just in buying silly deals to prove to people I'm a big badass and I'm in social media selling and buying all these deals, but you're not keeping track of your capital, you're not keeping track of where your money's coming and going, and that's a big one not knowing how much you truly have coming in and out. And that's like the accounting side of mm -hmm. it. How much was your holding cost? Not you got a HUD for 165,000. Oh did you God. really profit that 165? And sometimes Cuz I can show you yeah. one where I did and I actually accounting <laughs> lost 40 grand on mm -hmm. it. I would say there's sometimes when It's so easy to fake it. There's right? sometimes no matter what you made, it's really nice to get that 160 grand back. Oh, it <laughs> makes you feel better. You mean you don't cry the at the title is. company, yeah. that's for sure. Because you need the money because you're on and so I, I've always liked that third way personally because I think that if you have a sound business model then a higher volume of deals as long as you have a sound acquisition strategy as long as you understand the market on the dispo side then it evens out more of the the mess ups because obviously we mess up yeah we don't mess up big but we'll mess up and take a 20k loss on a house but if we have a month where the company is making you know whatever you don't really feel the 20k loss and to be honest we probably mess up on uh, failed marketing attempts in terms of expenses, way I more than we do. I don't believe anyone doesn't lose. No, I don't everyone's think so. lost some way somehow. You just have to own it. But and let's be honest, it's not necessarily a terrible thing. Yeah, you need the money to keep going and keep your industry, but now you got a tax write-off. Mm -hmm. For some of us, that's amazing. <laughs> the the responsibility aspect of it is something that I saw in the crash because you know I was in multifamily. Uh, and you were in commercial before the crash. I'm talking about 06, I'm not talking about COVID, I'm not talking about the little blip in 2012 20, or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, but like the actual crash. The people that came, the people that blew their brains out were the people that thought that they had no control over anything and that it wasn't their fault that their entire life savings was wiped away in something. Um, and the people that came out of it, I'm not gonna say unscathed because it was painful at the time, but the people that came out of it maybe stronger in the end were the ones that took responsibility, regardless of the outside circumstances negatively impacting the business entirely, and said, you know what, this sucks, but a lot of other people, sucks for them too. Uh, let's buckle down and let's see what we can do to get ourselves out of this problem. You can whatever grow the problem out of is. anything. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's always an upside to something. And it's never... You just have to figure it out. It's never, <clears throat> excuse me, never running away from your problems and never placing blame. The, such a trend in the industry it was especially a couple of years ago and a lot of new people were getting in but oh my contract I saw so many posts on Facebook oh my contractor screwed me oh my this screwed me oh my lender screwed oh me my oh my the, the wholesaler that sold me oh, the deal we take it. Oh, the, lender. the wholesaler that sold me the deal screwed me they yeah. stopped like they wouldn't release my funds did you ever think that maybe you just are a really bad operator and you're blaming everyone because you're not taking responsibility and for what's going on it's not to say on? that there's not third parties that are at fault at times but I think that there's, and I had this conversation with Casey Daly one day about it's essentially we're all human, humans error. Mm -hmm. And to act like we all need to run around and act perfect and finish everything perfectly is just preposterous. 
you're humans. And sometimes you, maybe you pulled the wrong comps or you pulled the right comps, but you met, met you, they, it was 380 and you were thinking 480. So you think you haven't knocked it out of the park. That happens. But you just, it's how you deal with it. Emotional intelligence. It, it's just and there's how always, you deal with And there's it. always the unknown unknown where we try to predict into the future a little bit about what's likely to happen to the market with the inventory that we have based on what we're trying to do. But you can miss because we, we've definitely seen more of a segmentation of local markets being more localized again yeah. with the, the marketplace changing. Where there are some markets that sell very quickly and there's some markets that don't sell very quickly for a full ARV property. And price always overcomes that. Like if you're cheap enough, you're gonna sell something regardless of where you are. Yeah. But we're definitely seeing the sub-market matters again. Knowing what the days on inventory are in the market that you're in is- Your neighborhood. Is hugely important. The neighborhood immediately. Like don't go out of the neighborhood if you don't have to. Because that neighborhood will tell you. I mean, even it'll get so, like you have to know the neighborhood so much and like to, there are some that even when you're dialing in, like Tony pulls in, Donovan and has like a class discussion like listen this neighborhood there was a lawsuit and XYZ like unless you're investing and actually doing deep dive due diligence like you're gonna miss these things right like and you're only gonna miss it once right hopefully right that's the that's the learning thing across everything is just don't make the mistake twice but you should have a good team support team and for you guys you have the three of you who are gonna not hold pull back and fight with each other about what you see. You've got the team double checking it. So that's your checks and balances. For like a smaller operator who doesn't have all that, especially a newer investor, use your lender. We're your capital partner. I'm, I am protecting my money and yours. So if we're seeing something, and I mean, look at the volume we're looking at, we might have insight to a submarket or a neighborhood that you don't. Yep. I mean, there's been times where we've paused lending in certain zip codes or neighborhoods because we knew there was oversaturation and it was going to bite everyone in the ass. Yeah. And people were crazy and offended and went to other lenders and look what happened. Some of them haven't sold and it's over a year later. Some of them on the chopping though, block. It's your fault, for killing their deal. because well, I'm right? a dick. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's always a <laughs> lender's Which I've never fault. understood. I am absolutely incentivized because I make money to you close loans. You want them to profit. But I want us Fuck, all man. to do well. Because if I, I run out of money and I have too many foreclosures, I'm out of business. That's a loss for a lot of people. Now, that investor's probably in the same boat. You've just wiped out a big chunk of the industry. That's not good for anybody. I mean, we all should walk into this as a team sport of, we're gonna try and make this work because the longer we're all in it, we all make money. Whether it's the foundation guy, your make ready guy, the, hand, the handyman, the listing agent, the seller's agent, the stager, the designer, us, you know, it's just, we all need to be in this. So people just need to understand that we're here looking at the deals with you, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's us or the title company might know something. I used to tell people that they're paying me the points so I can build their portfolio. Right, like so, I'm, I'm part of their that. team, oh, right? Oh, so, so, I'm out of sales for a reason. I fucking hated customers, but no, like everybody always hates the loan officers, and like they're complaining about points, fees, or whatever. And I'm like, just fucking let the loan officer eat, right? Stop bitching, do multiple deals. Um, but I, I tell everybody that they need to have a title company, right? You always want the title company on your team, looking at everything have a lawyer on your side, just God forbid in There's the back pocket, right? perks to loyalty. Mm -hmm. People will, will help you out. I mean, title companies will even say like, oh, we've dealt with this seller before, because we've heard that this seller's gonna be tough, or we've had this contract before. Yeah. And, mm. what, what differentiates, I think, a professional in the industry 
versus someone that's going to play the blame game is the professional understands that an integral part of the business model is everyone needs to get paid. Mm. Otherwise, they're not, going to be, they're not going to be in business very long. We like it when the contractors make money. Now, we like it when they make a fair, you know, a fair wage for what they're doing for fair work. We don't want them to get rich off of us on one deal, but we want them is to do volume. Is that why you do tequila shots when you're paying them? Get them a little drunk, make them think they feel good? They bring the make alcohol. Them, they bring the alcohol. <laughs> They bring this right. They brought this rice wine last time. It was like sake. Oh, the AC guy. Yeah, yeah the HVAC guy. He's They're like, don't drink it, don't drink it, drink it, drink it. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? And, and they do, and they do fine. I would drink it, and then like, oh shit, he drank it. I'm like, they do fine. Am I gonna be okay? Yeah. Can I go home? Like, <laughs> I, I talked, but I, I talked to, for example, the HVAC guy is a good example. Uh, he's been with me five years, I think. Yeah, five years. Um, I don't call a second HVAC guy. I call him and. There'll be often times I call him on Tuesday and I have a new system in on Wednesday if I want it. Yeah, that's um, nice. He's so loyal that I'll text him in a group chat, me, TJ, and him. He'll then text TJ, is this one of yours? And I'm like, motherfucker, like, oh. come on, like, just get it done. I'm just trying to speed things up, right? And like, God damn it, I should have went through I'm a boss, too. Not even that, but I'm, I'm like, God damn it, just fucking get it done. And Don't feel bad for our subs. They they do fine. Oh, they yeah. make a lot of money. It's the same asshole that brought the uh, the rice, the rice wine. wine. Oh, that's so funny. But, yeah. but uh, the one that you mentioned, the one we do shots with, uh, I've known him since before I moved out to Texas. I've known him ten years. Wow. Uh, and I don't use him on everything. We don't use him all the time. But that that's important. I don't know many people that can say that. The same thing with JB, mm -hmm. who Tony's been working with for sixteen years. Mm -hmm. These aren't. Wow. It's not. It's not that they're unhappy. They wouldn't be coming back if they were unhappy. Uh, but it's not that they're getting screwed and not. You know, not getting paid what they're worth, but it's also that they're respected and they're getting paid a fair amount for what they're doing. Well, and I honestly think that some of the, you know, it's really common to see the, you know, contractor took my money and ran off. There's some, it's not to say there's not shit people. There's garbage people whose whole intent was just to steal. Oh, absolutely. We've learned that. It's mm -hmm. hit the news. We're watching investors and GCs being thrown off to jail in the last two years. But I also think some of them, investors also screw over people. They screw over GCs, not paying, they argue the quality's not there, whatever the reason is. You know, at some points, people will stop working with investors if we're like that. Or they'll start to think that they need to maybe, if the opportunity arises, take a little bit of the cash or maybe a little bit of the materials or something. I mean, you kind of create the environment that's more, your that's, surroundings. That's more what I was getting at from the contractor perspective because we've done a lot of construction, obviously. And you make, you make a good point. There's always, for a fixed price bid, there's always something that a bad client can complain about about the quality of the work. It doesn't matter how good the work is. There's a paint line somewhere. There's a grout line. There's a tile is inherently not square. So the grout over here is thicker than the grout over there. So a, a bad, and this can go for retail as well, which is why we don't do retail work for homeowners. Um, well, we never have. But why, for, a, for a, someone that wants to be malicious as a homeowner, an investor, a, anything on that side, can find something to pick on the contractor about and can make their life hell. Yep. Now, it doesn't mean that a lot of investors do that. I think a lot of investors are pretty ethical and try to do it fairly. But it really goes down to the vibe of, okay, what am I trying to accomplish here? Am I trying to make sure everyone is growing? Or am I trying to make sure that, you know, I have a lot of bills to pay. I got a lot of stuff to do. Man, I need to make, I need to make, I need to make on my side. And that's not a healthy environment for anyone. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually not a bad little segue, I suppose, is like even, even an office environment. 
Well, not so much. Like even an office environment. We're you have very... one negative, and one. If you have ninety nine people, precisely, and one is just, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It Liberal. will sprout. Yeah. It will continue to go. Liberal. That's why I keep a fucking Trump sign on my office wall, right? You got to fucking weed them out. Because once they get in there, right, they're like gnomes and shit. They just start fucking digging. They're like the Jewish New Yorkers, the right? They just start tunneling and shit. Like, holy hell. Hey, 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 they infect Andrew. everything. I don't know if I can say that. Oh, <laughs> it happens. Um, those tunnels are amazing. But, but as we've Bro, as the memes from it, oh my god! I know. Put a couple, we'll put a, I'm, we'll I'm put a couple memes up there. I have so many NYPD <laughs> friends from back home that I'm just sending different memes to. It's amazing. I just love the story of the guy who was hearing Yiddish and he went to see a shrink. Yeah. And come to find out the he tunnel was crazy. near his house. Yeah. He's like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine that, right? Like hearing that at night, just fucking Yiddish coming that through the floor. A little odd, but but I, I think that even the mom and pop people, the ones that are successful, they understand that they're running a company, mm -hmm. and they understand that the people that work for them, the subcontractors, the title companies, the attorneys. Well, they usually have a specific goal. Right. Like I want to make five hundred thousand dollars in the next five years so that I can retire with whatever millions I'm going to have, and I need. But you get my point. Yeah. And so they have a very, they have a goal. I, if I make 40 grand per house, that means I need to do this many houses a year to get to that goal. So they're going to be very hyper-focused, laser-focused. The people who've chosen to be an investor because maybe they couldn't hold down a job, maybe they got fired, because a lot of us, let's be honest, we're crazy people. We, we probably won't do well if we're being told what to do. There's a lot of mental instability <laughs> in the marketplace. Uh, we have ADD, HD, HD, ADHD. We have like we just don't take well. Like we're just a personality type. If you I know, fail at this, but I'm some going of those people fans. just buy deals to buy deals. They don't necessarily have a goal. Like I'll hear people say, "I want to have 100 houses before I'm 40 or mm -hmm. whatever," and I'm like, "That's badass." I personally would not want that. That sounds like a whole other. That's a whole other business. Yeah. I want enough that I can do X. Like you have to have, why do you want the 100 houses? Is it because you need to have $100,000 cash flow? Like what? what is it that you need and back into it? Mm -hmm. So I mean, the more legs are focused. I mean, our very first Pains and Gains episode was about focus. Was it? Mm -hmm. It's a fun circle back. It's a circle. It's a circle. It's such a small world. It's a <clears throat> People don't realize, though, that fucking goals are moving targets, right? You, you should never achieve your goal because your goal should then evolve into something else, right? Oh, I want to make five grand, uh, five grand a month, and then you fucking hit it, and you're like, well, fucking, That's this not is nothing, right? Yeah. Oh, shit, I need to make 10 grand. 10 grand turns into 20 and 20, and it grows, 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 or whatever your goal is, right? I want to put up... Uh, 200 pounds benching, right? Then you fucking start benching 200 pounds and you're like, well, I can keep on going, right? Like, yeah. your goal should always evolve. So, um, in that same regard, if your goal is to get 100 houses, right, that is something in your head. That's a sign of wealth or whatever that is. Like, once you start going, you might realize, no, I don't want 100 fucking houses because. But of 100 like, houses, how many of them cash flow? Mm -hmm. Because I know whenever I see those big, like, package deals, mm -hmm. 40 houses all in the same market and. They're getting but, sold together and for they a reason. Sell, they, <laughs> they, we will not break them apart. Mm -hmm. It's because a quarter of them are. POSs that don't cash flow, need money, and are just going to rape you, yep. and the other ones are decent. There's a reason. So again, it's, did you need 100 houses because you need a certain cash flow? Well, back into that number. That's a lot more feasible than 
I need 100 houses. Because cash flow changes. That also right there, what you just touched on, is totally another reason why we're very unlikely to see another bubble or whatever we just saw back in 2008 because due diligence has changed so much too, right? We, we are it's fucking underwriting right. and looking at every deal 10 times over fucking... I mean, just look at hard money. Yeah. I mean, hard money, we don't change a whole lot because, you know, our rates are high. We're not tied to the index or things like, well, most of us aren't. Um, but even hard money from six months ago, borrower requirements, underwriting, pricing, all changed. Mm -hmm. What we were a year ago, all changed. I mean, everything is just so different now. I used to tell people the six, you know, the uh, six eighty is the new six twenty, mm -hmm. right? Or, or yeah, most, yeah, I said that most, right. Like the everything minimum credit scores become six sixty, like, mm -hmm. and it's wild to me because I remember when there was a time you just Don't even didn't look. really you care. A fucking pulse. It was a four eighty, but so. you had plenty of money in the bank. Yeah. That was fine. Nowadays, mm -hmm. it's not. No, so. It goes back to protect your credit and capital. So what changes are you anticipating in the marketplace? Because again, you guys do a huge volume of deals. What changes are you anticipating in the marketplace coming into an election year, a likely pause in- You think they actually drop rates? In further interest rates? I do think they're gonna drop rates. Um, I think that there's going, okay, so commercial- I think they're dumb enough to do it. Commercial real estate, and mind you, I've been Which out of commercial me. real estate since 2014, so maybe things have changed, but maybe not. But every, when I was brokering commercial real estate, any time there was an election year coming and there was an anticipation that a Democrat would be in office, and this isn't about like, you know, fuck Dems or whatever. Oh, it's not even it's Democrat, just, like any election year. Any election year, mm -hmm. but it was any chance that their capital gains were going to change, people would suddenly start disposing of assets, commercial assets, especially if you were at the maximum of your five-year hold. Because most commercial, they would hold for five years, usually because that was their arm or their prepayment penalty. And then they 1031, they'd sell and exchange up. 1031 and something bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Super common. Dealt with it a lot. I loved it because it meant I had more volume. Because mm -hmm. not only are they disposing, yeah, you're selling they're buying buy. something okay. else. So, you know, and they're buying bigger. Yeah. So, hell yeah, that's I, a bigger paycheck. I two commissions instead of one. So, I do think that they're going to lower interest rates because, A, we're going into a gnarly a repeat of election is what it looks like. So, people are going to do whatever it takes to win. Honestly, I think they'll lower interest rates for the simple fact that America needs it. We, we need things to come down. People are still complaining about grocery bills. The amount of households that are living in poverty has flourished. I forget what the stat was when I read it. Um, the amount of credit card debt spiked, absolutely spiked up. And uh, the bulk of it, I think they said the average interest rate was like 25.99% interest, which that alone should on, be criminal. On credit cards? On credit cards. I think, that's what I, so I think that's what I see on mine when I say like interest rates for obviously pay them yeah. off, but I think that's what mine says, like 25.99. They went right from now. like 2199 like, to like 2599, which, you know, and if the average person is in credit card debt of, I think it was $20,000, which blows my mind. I mean, we will pay it off because that's usually a rehab budget. You're going to get a draw or sell the house, pay it off. But this is the average American, your yeah. home buyer. They're not. They're not they doing went, rehabs. They went, on, fucking, they went yeah. on vacation. They're going to the grocery yeah. store. They're paying that <coughs> leg that broke because the kid was on the trampoline well, or whatever. Let's you do know, the math on that real living. quick. If you're an average American family and your credit card interest rate is now 25%, uh, and your average credit card balance is $20,000. You're paying $5,000 a year in just interest, not paying, not and even you're paying not paying down, down your, your principal or anything. Not paying down your the balance. principal. 
and the average American salary is somewhere in the 70k range. So now you're paying. I thought it was it was like 65. I think was what the news was saying the other day. Stop it. So you're you're paying roughly seven to eight percent of your annual salary in interest on your credit card. Credit card debt. That's insane. And and then you're paying over 30 percent to live, whether mm -hmm. it's a rental or you're owning, and the cost is continuing to skyrocket. So now you're because insurance has spiked. Right. And property taxes. I mean, my property taxes on my rentals went up 48 percent on two. Um, one didn't go up too much, but I don't think they'd driven in the neighborhood to realize it'd been upgraded. <laughs> I was shocked that they didn't raise it more, but I'm not going to bitch. Um, and then insurance. Insurance, I mean, on one of my policies, it went up $700 a year no for problem. no reason other than just claims. Mm -hmm. But there was a period of time where Texas wasn't writing. They were limited, the insurance providers, on how many new policies they could file and claim, um, and new ones, because they were, I guess, however they're, and I'm not going to act like I'm an insurance yeah. expert, but whatever their escrow the is where they pay have. out stuff, that needed to be replenished, and they just couldn't take on more new claim policies so that if claims were made, they didn't have the funds. Um, that's that's wild to me. So they need to lower interest rates okay, so between, just for the sake of, of Americans, between, like, no matter who you are. Now and elections, say they lower interest rates a point, a point and a half. What does that do to the residential real estate market? It means people are going to start buying again. Mm -hmm. I mean, inventory has increased and days in market have increased, but people are still buying homes. I personally have been looking at buying a larger house. We could use more space. We have I mean, there's only three of us, Bill is being no, honest. Matter. They all, get you, uh, you your kids no. annoy kids you, your husband annoys you, you annoy you. You only spend so much time <laughs> in the barn, right? Like, You just want a little more, plus I'd like a pool. Yeah. You know, so I've been looking at higher price point, nicer homes, because now's the time to go and get a great deal and do it while the interest rate's not terrible and I only have to live with it for a few years before I can refinance it. That's fine. Do you think we see? So I think people will start to buy again. Do you think we see an increase in inventory because people now think that they can maybe get something in a lateral move or a higher move, and now they are putting their house back on the market? I don't. We've I think had the spike in supply will be uh, landlords who are no longer cash flowing mm -hmm. and need to figure out something else with their money. No, I think that's reasonable. And it's too. probably flippers who were forced to hold on to assets that didn't sell for whatever reason, um, or it's just landlords who are no longer cash flowing, because cash flowing is getting incredibly difficult, especially like in Austin. I bought my first one like nine years ago, I think, and it cash flows, but I bought it for dirt cheap, but the way the property taxes, I mean, they're just that's, killing that's me. That's my favorite. Oh, you did a new construction, or you know, you bought yeah. a new build. Oh, wait for that first year adjustment, right? <sighs> Fucking put you on your back. You got but. ten grand in property taxes. <laughs> what? So, we gotta wrap it up. So for yourself, you got knocked off of space one uh, for sales <laughs> in your team. So, <laughs> so clearly, Dick. so clearly you're you're slowing down. Thanks for having me back. Uh, no, good thing is outside is we have a networking event starting right now. So maybe you we can what? get you I just some sales and bump loans, those up. Right? So more, you know. what what does <laughs> wardrobe change? What does Q three and four look like for Kelly Smith going into this market that's going to be changing a little bit? Because uh, we're only in the first couple of weeks of Q1, but what does Q3 and 4 look like for Kelly Smith? And then what Are we pretending Q2 is not around? Are we like, no, no, are no. we going to Italy Q2's, for summer, guys? Q2 is already set. We're gone? Q2 is already set. <laughs> and then what are the plans for 2025? Crack. Ooh. More kids, more time with the family, more work, less work. What are we looking at? So what I'm, when I talk to 
anyone in this industry. I'm talking about your TCs, you know, your transaction coordinators, your title agents, your insurance people. I'm talking about everyone who touches real estate. The majority of the conversations I'm having is to people saying that they're protecting their peace. No matter how, how they say it, it boils down to they're protecting their peace. I think we're seeing a lot more people say, I don't need to get to this volume because of the shit that I dealt with where I can make a little bit less and be here and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I'm not working 24-7. I'm able to spend time with my family. I'm able to take a vacation. I'm able the, to be with my wise because most of our wise are our kids. I think the hustle, hustle, hustle for the sake of hustle. I'm trying to outwork everyone. I've never tried to outwork anyone in my life. Um, I think that's worked its way out of the space a little bit. I and mean, people are starting to think, you know, maybe... Maybe there's a smarter, better, if more intelligent way of going kid, about doing things. If I I'll hustle. I did it. I oh, and we did all work, it. We all obviously work very hard. But I have a kid hard. now. I have a life. You're still hustling. I heard you on the phone out there. Oh, I don't want to fucking hear that. It's a different hustle, though. Yeah, so, I mean, I got Jesus knocked off Christ. a peg. What is, what Thanks, is, bro. What does 2025 look like? Obviously, you're back on top. You're number one on the sales <sighs> team again. I'm hoping 2024 is back on what top. Is, uh, 2025. Well, yeah, but you won't know until January next year. Uh, it's January know. this year. I mean, honestly, I see for 20, I see for the this year, I think that we're all going to do better business. I think that we're all going to find success. We're going to have a more normal, um, you know, whether you take revenue, profit, however you pay yourself. I think we're all going to end up happier this year than we did last year. Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna implement better practices as an industry in general, so that we all can find success and operate within the same, you know, field of play. Because I think that we had a lot of squirrely things going on, and I've watched a lot of accountability. There's been a lot of dragging through the mud of people who haven't performed like they should on mm -hmm. the up and up. So I think we're we're gonna see 2024 is a year of regrowth, and we're optimistic and positive. 25 25 is where we're gonna see depending on what transpires with the elections, depending on what transpires with interest rates, and depending on how many people can get their credit <clears throat> and capital back to where they're comfortable, 2025 is gonna be a bigger year for all of us. It's not gonna be a 2022, but it's gonna be bigger than this rebuild year. Mm -hmm. But this year, I, I mean, I'm optimistic. I think it's a great year. No, I, think we're, I think we're ready to have fun. We, we finished 23 uh, relatively strong. We're enjoying so far the first couple of weeks of 24. I think. I think we're cautiously optimistic of it being a decent year. I as mean, well. I told you, I'm, I keep, I work too hard for how long I've been in this. So now I'm trying to identify where can I work smarter versus harder, and I feel like I'm not the only person who's reflecting like that. I'm going to go deep versus wide, as they say. You know. I think it's an important way to look at things. I think that's, that's exactly a lot more sensible. What your husband said. I think that's a lot. Shut more. up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kelly, thanks so much for coming down to Dallas. Is that uh, why he mentioned another kid? Coming, coming up to Dallas, whichever. Thanks for coming up to Dallas all the way from the People's Republic of Austin. I appreciate having you on the podcast. It's been a while since we've sat down on a podcast together. I know. Uh, how can the folks that listen to this, how can they find you, and how can they use your services, and what do you, what do you have to offer? Uh, real easy. I, um, I'm going to finance almost anything that you touch in the residential investment real estate space. Flips, new builds, double closes. Um, that's if you're doing wholesaling and you want to hide um, your fee from the buyer and seller, uh, transactional funding. <laughs> um, we're also going to do your wholesales. Um, those you guys are do gator lending? Absolutely not. I oh heard that's a I, thing I, nowadays. 
We got a thing if to go to. If someone can make me understand what, how it's secured, a uh, whatever. Oh, no, we don't. Um, we'll also handle your rentals. We have a 30-year fixed program. We have a 10-year interest only. That's super attractive to individuals in flips that maybe they can't offload at the moment. Um, that interest only helps you cash flow a bit better. And five-year arms, they're actually becoming a bit more popular. Fully understand what you're getting into, but people really banking on five-year arms are the individuals who understand rates are surely going to come down, even if it's 25 basis points. It's coming down. And their whole period was only five years or less anyway. So those, those make sense as well. So we can help you operate with that. My phone number is 512 417 Two three four eight. If you Google that, you'll find all of my social media, and I'm here to help you. Uh, we lend in Texas, uh, which is where I'm located, obviously, and uh, we also lend in 45 other states. And we are consistently adding to that list. So feel free to reach back. Um, one of my teammates is doing deals in Hawaii, and she's going to networking events. And I'm pissed I didn't think of it first. Are you guys hiring? <laughs> we are. I can't. You're always... I don't think we can justify a business trip. I, I had Hawaii, one deal I so. started analyzing, and I was like, Do I need fucking Volcano insurance? Is that a thing? Like, I didn't know. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm surely that's no, covered in acts of God. I have no idea. I, I didn't so. fucking trust it. I backed out of it. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm staying in Texas. All right, Fuck guys. That. Thanks for watching the Institute of Higher Earning podcast. My guest, Kelly Smith, been in the industry a little while. Fantastic lender that I've worked with personally quite a bit. Super excited to have had her on the podcast. My co-host, Nick Sicilian, he's here for Comic Relief and just being himself. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you want to be an overachiever, hit that notification button so you can see when we put new podcasts out. Podcasts are getting published on all those fancy pub podcast publishing platforms. That's alliteration for you English majors. I was actually a history and business major, so I don't know much about that. But that's important to know. It's not what you know. It's what you do with it. But sometimes it's nice to know shit. I'll see you later. Bye. Who you know.